Hello, this is Gene Wilhelm, and today we'll be exploring the scriptures for the second Sunday of Advent in Cycle C. That will be December 5th, 2021. God desires to have a relationship with us, and he wants to take us from whatever miseries and bondages we're experiencing into the midst of his kingdom. He's our deliverer, our redeemer. That is why he has throughout the ages sent human messengers to proclaim this desire to us and to urge us on. He still says the same thing today. During Advent, John the Baptist is the messenger that we hear about most. What many of us fail to comprehend is that we need to accept our deliverance and to become a John the Baptist to others. Let's look at the uh, the readings today. I'm going to do something a little different from what I normally do. Normally, I do the uh, the the first reading first. I'm going to do the gospel first because the first the gospel is the is the key that we have here, and I just want to, to take it from that point of view. Okay, so the gospel is from Luke, and it's chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. Now, it's, it's interesting here, and, and the, the, the uh, parallels to this are Matthew 3, verses 1 through 12, and Mark 1, 1 through 8. We have at the very beginning of this, Mark is a very detail-oriented person, and we have a lot of details about when these things were taking place, historical details that can go back and be examined, and we can kind of figure out approximately when it took place. It says, in the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, when Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea, and Herod was tetrarch of Galilee, and his brother Philip was tetrarch of the region of Iturea and Trachonitis, and Lysanias was tetrarch of Abilene, during the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John, the son of Zechariah, in the desert. Okay, so let's take a look at some of these. Uh, we can look at where uh, Pontius Pilate was. He he was uh, there, uh, started, uh, I think, in uh, 19, August of tw- uh, uh, 28 B.C. And uh, I'm sorry. Uh, but anyway, we got the dates. And uh, what you have in the one, the procurator of Judea, means that he also had Idumea, and Samaria, and that was from 26 to 36. Uh, Herod is, the Herod that's uh, mentioned here is Herod Antipas. He's the son of Herod the Great and Maltes, and he was tetrarch of Galilee and Perea from 4 BC to 39 AD. Now, this is the Herod in the time of Jesus' persecution, uh, crucifixion. The Herod the Great was the king when Jesus was born. Uh, Luke 3, uh, note 3 East, talks about some inscriptions were found in Abilene and anti, uh, anti-Lebanon confirming some of these things. And we'll talk about the high priesthood of Caiaphas. Uh, he was high priest from AD 18 to 36, and he's, he was one of the leaders in the plots against Jesus. And his father-in-law, Annas, had been high priest from AD 6 to some point in time, we don't, or we don't know exactly when, to about 15 now, the Philip that's mentioned there is the son of Herod the Great and Cleopatra, and he was tetrarch from 4 B.C. to A.D. 34. So the Herod family uh, were in control from a Jewish point of, or a local point of view, and Pilate was in control from a Roman point of view. Now, it's interesting, too. We can look at uh, some other things here. It says two things that are very important here. The word of God came to John, the son of Zechariah, in the desert. 
And the desert, we see that frequently uh, in Scripture. Uh, the, the Jews came through the desert for 40 years to purify themselves from what they had picked up in Egypt and to bring them to the life that God had in mind for them. So we need to understand that, that the desert is a place of purification. The word in Hebrew means a place where a, pa- a shepherd pastors his sheep is one of the meanings of it. But it's a lo- it's sometimes in some translations in the New Testament is talked, talked, talked about as a lonely place or a deserted place. So it's a place where we can be alone with God. And that's where John was. He went out into the desert, just like Jesus, after his baptism by John, went out into the desert for 40 days and 40 nights to commune with his father, to be alone with his father, except for all the wild beasts and all of all the uh, spiritual battle and the physical battle that he had to go through at that time. And that included his hunger and his thirst after that. But let's look at some of the other places where we can see, like at Jeremiah's call, we can see in Jeremiah 1, 1 and 2, the words of Jeremiah, the son of Hilkiah, of the priests who were at Anathoth, in the land of Benjamin, to whom the word of the Lord came in the days of Josiah, the son of Ammon, king of Judah, in the 30th year of his reign. Again, a very precise telling of when Jeremiah began to become prophet. But we see that Jeremiah received a word from God, just as we see here that John the Baptist received a word from God. We can look at the same thing for Hosea. Now, the Jeremiah was a prophet about the time of the deportation uh, to Babylon. Hosea is a later prophet, and we see in Hosea 1.1, the word of the Lord came to Hosea, the son of Beeri, in the days of Uzziah. It goes on and on and on. Is who it is, to place when that took place. So we know that that God speaks through his through certain people. And and the basic meaning of the Hebrew word for prophet is one who speaks for God. So we, we are being told here that John is a prophet. John the Baptist is a prophet, in the sense that the, the Jews understood what a prophet was. So that, that's very important that we understand that. The other thing we need to understand is this de- that it occurred to him in a desert, in a lonely place where God spoke to him. Uh, you can see some of that in the first book of Kings chapter 19, where uh, Elijah, after he had killed the 450 prophets of Baal, and he fled in fear from uh, Jezebel, went to Mount Horeb, Mount Sinai. And there in the still small voice of the wind is where Elijah encountered God, speaking to him, telling him what he should be doing next. So it says, John went throughout the whole region of the Jordan, Jordan River, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sin. Remember that word repentance is metanoia, which means a change of mind and heart, basically a change of direction of your your life. So he was preaching that forgiveness was dependent upon one's repentance, upon one's decision to change the way you looked at life. And when we say go to penance, and we say that act of contrition, one of the versions says, and to amend my life, amen. Amend, change, make it different. So that's what John the Baptist is calling them to. And then it says, as and we can look a little bit more about who this John was. In Luke 1.80, it says, and the child grew 
and became strong in spirit. And he was in the wilderness till the day of his manifestation to Israel. So John spent a lot of time in the desert preparing for his mission, just as Jesus sent his, spent his 40 days in the desert preparing for his des- mission. And we see that about Jesus in Matthew 4.1, after his baptism, says, then Jesus was led, some translations say, driven by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And what and that basic word tempting can also mean tested. So it's it's like the the uh, refiner's fire uh, that gets rid of the impurities, but you, there's all this heat and all this testing to make sure to see just how pure the the metal that's coming out is, and that's what we're talking about here. That happens in the desert, in the wilderness, and it, it happens to us when we face temptation. It's not to make us fall into sin. It's to make us turn to God and to get the remaining impurities in our life. When we feel the heat of from our lives, that's what, what God is doing. And we need to be very much aware of that. And we, must, we are called to submit to that heat in our lives, that refiner's fire that we, we see uh, in Malachi, the last chapter of Malachi. And uh, we, we actually sing some songs like Refiner's Fire, uh, talking about how we want God to purify us. So then it goes on to say, uh, as it is written in the book of the prophet Isaiah. So this is talking about the prophecy of John the Baptist that Isaiah had. And that if you look at that, that's basically from Isaiah 40, verses 3 through, through 5. And it says, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight his paths. Every valley shall be filled and every mountain shall be made low. The winding roads shall be made straight and the rough ways made smooth and all flesh shall see the salvation of God. So the purpose of this is for the prophet to help people understand how God wants to remove the impediments in their lives so that they can be more more attuned to what God is saying. And so it's prepare his way. In, in our own lives, one of the things that we're called to do, especially for those who we have some kind of responsibility for, is to prepare them for the future. Uh, sometimes we have people, perhaps our children, uh, perhaps somebody else we're responsible for, who has chosen the path that Jesus talks about later is broad and wide, but it leads to, to destruction, the road per, to perdition. And we need to help them choose the narrow path, the more difficult path, but that path can be made more smooth. That path can be one which, in which they find preferable, that we find preferable, because it's leading to God. And this confidence in God, this total dependence upon God, this knowledge that God is there to protect us, that's exactly what we are called to experience. God wants us to experience that. It is when we are in situations where we have no control, we have no power, that we need to turn to God. And that's what God is wanting of us. And that's we need to help others to understand that if they turn it over to God, they're going to get through it. Uh, there's a meditation, uh, and I don't recall the scripture it's on, uh, but it talks about having this boulder in the middle of, the, uh, of, of a river that this, this man that was giving the meditation said, and it was like an impediment in his life. And he was praying to God, to remove the boulder. And then somehow in his prayer, eventually he opened his ears to he, to where he could hear God. And God said, which is easier to do? Pray that I remove the boulder 
or pray that I raise the water level so that you can float over the boulder. God is not necessarily in the habit of removing the impediments in our lives. God is in the habit of giving us the grace to go over the top of the impediments, across to the uh, top of the obstacles in our lives. And that's what, what it's saying here. Uh, now let's take a look at some more things here. We can look uh, back at Matthew 14, 13. Uh, when, and this is, talks about when after the uh, multiplication of those, and it says when he heard this, that they were going to come and make him king, he withdrew from there in a boat to a lonely place apart. But when the count crowds heard it, they followed him on foot from the towns. Uh, we've already talked about after his baptism. Uh, so let's let's take a look at some of the other things that we're talking about here with this this prophecy in in uh, in, in uh, Luke that comes from Isaiah. It says in this prophet the note in the New Jerusalem Bible note Luke three G I believe it is says Mark, uh, followed by Matthew, ends the quotation from Isaiah 40 at the end of the third line. Luke continues to include a specific promise of salvation. So Luke is going into much more detail than either Matthew or Mark. And we had Mark last this last uh, liturgical year, and, and, and you know we talk so frequently that Mark is almost abrupt in what he says. Uh, if, if Mark gives you a detail, it means that Mark considered it extremely important or he wouldn't have said it because he didn't really waste any words. The only word that he used repeatedly in Mark was immediately, showing that when uh, the expression of was I, the last line of Isaiah 60, 22 says, in due time I will act with speed. When God's time is ready, he will do it quickly. But if God's time is not ready, then it's gonna, we're going to have to sit there and wait. Now let's look at the first reading. This is from Baruch, and this is this is a, 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 a prophet, and most of what we have of this prophet's writings is in, in Greek, so uh, it's not included in the Protestant uh, canon of scripture, but it is in uh, the Catholic canon of scripture. So if you're reading a King James version. Uh, or a, a Protestant RSV, you won't see it. If you're reading the RSV Catholic edition or Second Catholic edition, you'll see it. If you're reading the New American Bible, which is this, uh, which we use at Mass here in the United States, you'll see it. Uh, you'll see it in the Jerusalem Bible, the New Jerusalem Bible, or the Old Dewey Reims, uh, or the Septuagint. Uh, uh, I believe it's in the Septuagint, and it's also in the Vulgate. Okay, so let's look at this. It says, Jerusalem, take off your robe of mourning and misery. So Jerusalem uh, has fallen. Uh, and Jerusalem has fallen, and the Babylonians have, have, have been there. And it's, it's a time that they are they're grieving. It's a, the, the Jewish people are grieving the fall of Jerusalem, the loss of Jerusalem, and they're grieving. And what Baruch is saying, it's time to cut the grieving, and put on the splendor of the glory of God, glory from God forever. So if, if we stay in our grief, we are not really giving God the glory. God, has, as Paul has told us, that all things work together for the good of those who are called according to his purposes. God can bring good out of anything that we see as a defeat. Let's look at Isaiah 52 verses 1 and 2 also talks about this same thing. It says, uh, and this is uh, says, awake, awake, put on, 
on your strength, O Zion. Put on your beautiful garments, O Jerusalem, the holy city, where there is no more come into you uncircumcised and unclean. Shake yourselves from the dust, O captive Jerusalem. Loose the bonds from your neck, O captive daughter of Zion. So it's the one thing that the uh, Jesus told his disciples too was they were preaching. Remember, he sent them out the seventy-two in pairs. He said, "And if you're not welcome, shake the dust of that city off of your feet." We are often talked to, to talk about being in the world but not of it. Some we have to travel through the world, but we don't have to absorb the world. We need to wash, the, get, shake the world's dust off of us. Have times. Uh, again, going into our own personal wilderness. Our personal wilderness is a t- our time of, that we have prayer and silence and alone time with God. Uh, the Jews washed their feet to get the dust of the world off of them as they came into the house. And so this is what we're, they're called to do. And he says, wrapped in the cloak of justice from God, bear on your head the mitre that displays the glory of the eternal name. We're not supposed to be explaining explaining. Yes, but we're supposed to be displaying God, God's glory. Uh, there is that passage that says about that we are to be reflecting the glory of God that Paul talks about, which I think is 2 Corinthians 3.17, which I don't have written down, so I'm trying to recall it from memory. If you look at it, you may not see that that's where it is, but that's where I recall that it is. Uh, Isaiah 60 verse 10 also says, I will re- greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall exult, which means are dancing. Put on your beautiful garments, O Jerusalem, the holy city, for there shall be no more come into you the uncircumcised and the unclean. Shake from yourselves. Oh, I'm sorry, going the wrong. I w- I'm reading the wrong one. Isaiah 61 verse 10. I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall exult in my God, for he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He's clothed me with the robe of righteousness as his bridegroom decks himself with a garland and a bride adorns herself with jewels. God wants to save us. The garment of salvation is the, the garment that we saw in the prodigal son parable where the father came out and took the rags of sin off the son and put on him the garments of being a son of the father. That is what God wants to do for us. And that's what we're seeing in here. And if that, if we realize that we are children of God, even when, if we are rebellious, rebellious children that wander off and wallow in the pigsty as the prodigal son did, God, the father is going to invite us home. And when we get home, we need to allow him to treat us again as beloved children of God that treat us in the way that we should be treated as children of this heavenly father who has everything and wants to give everything to us. Let's take a look at note eight in the New Jerusalem Bible for Baruch. It says, uh, talks about uh, the peace of justice. And it's saying the other messianic name given to Jerusalem, uh, it's, it's what it's talking about here, that it's the peace, the peace of justice. Uh, then it goes on, up Jerusalem, stand upon the heights, look to the east and see your children gathered from the east and the west as the word of the Holy One, rejoicing that they are remembered by God. All right, stand on the heights, get up where you can see what God is doing. Why you look to the east? Uh, the, in the Jewish religion, 
Uh, God was supposed to come from the east, from the rising sun. We see it in Revelation. Uh, many churches in the past were oriented such that, that the people faced east when they, and the priest faced east when they said mass, when, they, when the priest's back was to the people. So it's, that's what it's talking about here. And we're seeing that what God is trying to tell us is that there's going to be a new exodus. Well, he's trying to tell the people of, of God, God's people, the Jews, that there's going to be a new exodus from Babylon back to Jerusalem. What's he telling us? God is telling us that we are to, to flee our own Babylon, which I believe is Isaiah 48 uh, talks about that. It talks about flee from Babylon. And again, as we've said before, the name Babylon means confusion. So we need to flee the confusion of the world. We need to come away to a quiet place, to become purified, to come back and focus our minds again on God rather than on the things of the world. Because as the parable of the sower talks about, as it's explained, is that the entanglements of the world are the, are, is being sowed among the thorns. That those in, in those entanglements, not only can you not gather the fruit, but you have competition from the thorns for the, the actual seed to take root and to sprout and to bear fruit. So let's look again at uh, Isaiah uh, 60 verse 4 says, Lift up your eyes and look around you see that, and see. They all gather together. They come to you. Your sons from, shall come from far away and your daughters shall be carried in the arms. So God is saying, Jerusalem, your children were dispersed and taken to Babylon, but they're coming back. Look for that. And then uh, Isaiah 40, we, we already talked about Isaiah 40, verses 3 through 5. Uh, and then let's take a look at the note in Isaiah 40 says, the Babylonians text speak in similar terms of a profession, processional or triumphant ways prepared for a God or victorious kings. Here is the road by which God will lead his people through the desert in a new exodus. So God, it's talking about this new exodus. And even in our own lives, we need to be able to live a new exodus. All right, so then it says, led away on foot by their enemies, they left you, but God will bring them back to you, borne aloft on royal thrones. Again, this idea that they're going to be carried, carried away. For God has commanded that every lofty mountain be made low, and that the age-old depths and gorges be filled to level ground. Again, we're looking at Isaiah 40, verses 3 through 5, which we saw in the gospel. And then, uh, that Israel may advance secure in the glory of God. And that's important that we understand that. We, we can go on the forest and every fragrant tree should have overshadowed Israel at God's command, for God is leading Israel in joy by the light of his glory with his mercy and his justice for company. So let's take a look at uh, uh, Isaiah 49, verse 22. For thus says the Lord God, Behold, I will lift up my hand to the nations and raise my signal to the signal the peoples, and they shall bring your sons in their bosom, and your daughters shall be carried on their shoulders. So God is wanting to do all this for us. We have to see what God is wanting. God is wanting to bring us back to himself totally and completely. Let's take a quick look at the second reading. I don't know that we have time to do it all, but we'll do what we can. And this is from Philippians. And again, remember, Philippians is, is Paul's letter for joy. And so I pray always with joy in my every prayer for all of you because of your partnership for the gospel. So God is trying to get them 
to understand that Paul is, that he's praying all the time and that they're his partners. And the notes in the Jerusalem Bible talk about not only the, that the, their partners since the time of their conversion. Uh, I am confident that this, the one who began a good work in you will continue to complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. Uh, the, the note there in, in, uh, in Philippians 1D for the New, New Jerusalem Bible, uh, it, it talks about that since the day they were converted. But then we can also go to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 8 and 9. It says, this God who will, Jesus Christ, God will sustain you at, at, to the end, guiltless in the day of the Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of the Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. And then we can go on to Romans 1, 9. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of the Son, that without ceasing I mention you always in my prayers. Paul is always praying for his converts. And it's because he says, and this is my prayer, that your love may increase more and more in the knowledge of every kind of perception to discern what is of value, so that you may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ for the glory and praise of God. Note E talks about the fruit, and it talks about the fruit showing up in Hosea and Galatians and Ephesians, growing in knowledge and love and discernment of what is important. Its rectitude and warmth continue to maturity, transcending the limits of all legislation. I always call to mind, recall to mind verses, uh, Romans 12, 1 and 2 so frequently. I appeal to you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that you may prove what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. God expects something of us when he brings us back home. If that prodigal son is said, after two weeks, he said, well, I'm going back to the pig pen. Uh, we don't hear that in the parable. The son was glad to be home. When God brings us into his presence, He's asking us to make changes in our lives so that we can become who he really desires us to be. And I'm going to call it an end with that. We don't have time for the hallelujah verse or the psalm today. And I'm really hopeful that you will, uh, you and me and all of us will recognize our need for deliverance, not only asking for it, but also accepting it in the manner that God wishes to present it to us. Furthermore, we need to listen to him to determine whom and how we are to become that John the Baptist others. With that, I'm going to call it a day totally and completely. I ask that you have the blessings of this Advent preparation for the, the recollection of the birth of Jesus, that you have a great and glorious week, and that we're able to get together again next week. God bless.